We give a very warm welcome to everyone joining with us for uh, worship today, both those in the building here and those who are joining with us uh, online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 103. It's found on page 369 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. Psalm 103 at the beginning. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. Bless, O my soul, the Lord thy God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath bestowed on thee. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 103. O thou, my soul, bless God the Lord. join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we sing these songs, help us to stop and ponder the truths contained within them. It is only because there are tender mercies in the heart of God that we are here today. You are a holy God. And we are sinners. And sometimes when we contemplate you, we just want to run and hide. But help us to remember that in this world there are no hiding places from God. But may we remember also 
that Jesus came into this world to provide us with a hiding place. And we pray that when we are overwhelmed by a sense of our own sins that we would come back to this book that you have given to us that reveals to us that you were in Christ reconciling the world unto yourself. These are phenomenal truths. These are revelations you have given to us that we could never come to in and of ourselves if we were being honest and truthful. We have forfeited everything, absolutely everything. But it's sinners you came to seek and save. And that's why we are here this day. And may we remember at the opening of that song it speaks about our soul. And we do realize that in our twistedness and in our depravity we can pretend to worship you. We can go through all the outward modes and rituals and yet be far, far away from you in our hearts. But may we remember that real worship is soul worship. And it's soul worship that must go alongside truth. We must worship you in spirit and in truth. And so we pray that our souls would go out to you this day. In real worship. We pray that you'd remember us in all our need. And the reality is every last one of us have many needs. And if truth be told, we think we know each other, but we don't. And that means there are many people bearing burdens that nobody knows anything else about. And sometimes it can be so incredibly lonely. But may we remember this, that however bad it gets, and however low we may be, and we may be in a place that nobody else knows about or would be able to understand but you know it and you understand it because you've been there before and that is a tremendous source of succor and comfort for us that we can turn our souls heavenwards and know <coughs> that heaven knows what's going on in our life and in our experience we would ask you this day to help us, every last one of us. We all need your help, and we need it every living day. Bless those who are struggling to come to terms with the loss of loved ones, whether in recent times or perhaps long ago. Help them, we pray. And remember, we pray... <coughs> Others who are struggling with health issues. In fact, many other issues that cause fear and anxiety. We pray that we would come and unburden our souls at your feet. We pray for not only for those who are gathered here this day, but those who are joining with us online. Be a blessing to them, wherever they might be. We thank you for the privilege of being able to be together in this way. Uh, we pray that you would be in our midst, that you would bless us. Remember our loved ones, wherever they might be. Our earnest prayer is this, that in the world beyond this one we will all be together, because we have all trusted in you as our own Saviour. Remember the young ones and remember the unborn in the congregation. Be a blessing to them. Remember those who are old and feeling the difficulties of age. Bless them. Bless us all, we pray. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now I'm going to speak to the young people for a moment or two. <clears throat> I don't know if you know what the meaning of your name is. My guess is that quite a lot of people have names 
and they never even bother to think about I wonder what the meaning of my name is that's not the way it was with Jesus the name Jesus means saviour and when we do the Christmas block of work in the schools one of the things we underline is this that part of what the Bible says about the name Jesus is this call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins so the Bible tells us not only what the name Jesus means but it tells us what he will save us from but the Bible tells us that Jesus has lots and lots of different names I've never even stopped to count up how many names Jesus has but there are lots of them lots of them and every single one of them has a meaning every single one of them tells us something about Jesus now I don't know if you have ever heard of anybody called the door but that was one of the names that Jesus had he was called the door and you might be thinking that's a that's a strange name I've never heard of anybody called the door why on earth would he be called the door well I'm going to try to explain to you why he was called the door I'm here in this building today and so are you now if I want to get outside this building I can't get out that window it would be impossible for me I can't go through the wall that's impossible as well I would have to go through the door there or the other door out there that we've all just come in to the building through. In other words, the door is the means by which we get from one place to another. We need to have doors. But then, why is Jesus called the door? He's called the door because he is the way that we will get to heaven if we're going to get to heaven in other words if some, you know, some people think oh you know I'm a good person I've never killed anybody I've never robbed a bank I've never stolen a thousand pounds from somebody else I'm a good person and because I'm a good person like that I'm going to get to heaven because God's going to look at me saying you're a good person you can come into heaven I'm afraid that we have all sinned. Not, we may not have killed somebody else and we may not have robbed a bank but we have all done lots and lots of things that are wrong and we know that they're wrong. We call these things sins. And it's not just the things we do it's the things we say and it's even the things we think. And for all of these things we do, say and think they block us from getting into heaven. Except, that's why Jesus came into this world. To wash away all our sins. And if we are trusting in him, he does wash away all our sins. And he does enable us to get into heaven. That's why he's called the door. And my hope and prayer today is this. That not just the young people here, but everybody here in the building and online that we are all trusting in Jesus as our saviour because if he is our saviour he will be the doorway for us getting into heaven one day and I hope that's the way it is with each and every one of us now let's sing again to God's praise this time in Psalm number 84 it's found on page 338 of uh, the Psalter Psalm 84 on page 338 and it's at the beginning of the song how lovely is thy dwelling place O Lord of hosts to me the tabernacles of thy grace how pleasant Lord they be my thirsty soul longs vehemently yea faints thy courts to see my very heart and flesh cry out O living God for thee. We'll sing down to the end of the double verse 3, Psalm 84 at the beginning, how lovely is thy dwelling place.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. Luke and uh, at chapter 7. Luke's Gospel and uh, at chapter 7. And we'll read at the beginning of the uh, chapter. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built up as our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. (coughs) Soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had uh, come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. 
yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute to you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading of his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God. Please help us as we turn to explore your word this day. Sometimes we read it and we get nothing at all from it. Nothing. And it's not that there is no power in the word. It's because of the way we come. Sometimes we come full of our self-importance and full of arrogance. Sometimes we come with terrible indifference. Sometimes writ large over our coming is we really couldn't care less. And we reap the rewards of such coming. But we pray that we would come this day with our mouths open wide that we might be fed with the good things of your word. Because we need it in our souls. We need you to feed and replenish our bodies. But we also need you to feed and replenish us in our souls. We don't deserve the least of your mercies. But we come because you are merciful. And we come because we are very, very needy. We realize that the accusations made against you that uh, whilst you were in this world were that you were a glutton and a drunkard. We realize that many accusations are made against your people, even at this very moment in time, that are untrue, that cause so much trouble and havoc and distress. But we pray that we would remember that we can turn to somebody who's in the same boat and who has experienced all that kind of thing And we pray that that would succor us in our souls. We pray that this day you would help us as we explore this area of scripture. And that we would all glean from it. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing in the same song, Psalm 84. It's still on page 338 and it's at verse 4. Blessed are thee in thy house that dwell, they ever give thee praise. Blessed is the man whose strength thou art, in whose heart are thy ways. Who passing thorough baker's veil, therein to dig up wells. Also the rain that falleth down the pools with water fills. Can I just say a little bit about baker's veil? It was an area that was exceedingly arid. And it was very, very difficult for life to be sustained there. But God caused the rain to fall that provided the wherewithal for plant life to live in Baker's Vale. And as far as the, soul, the, the, the earthly journey of believers is concerned, sometimes we get into Baker's Vale and everything is so dry and so arid we are about to die. But even in these circumstances, God doesn't forget his people. He gives the wherewithal for life to be sustained. Let's remember that as we sing this song. It's verses 4 to 9 of Psalm 84. Blessed are they in thy house that dwell. Mm -hmm. 
to the passage of scripture we've read in Luke's gospel chapter 7 and we'll read at verse 18 the disciples of John the Baptist reported all these things to him John calling two of his disciples to him sent to the Lord saying are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another now let's by God's enabling seek to explore this area of scripture there are three things that uh, I would like to say a little bit about today I'm going to speak about a case of spiritual depression because I think that's what's going on in the life of John the Baptist on this particular occasion And then secondly, I want to say a little bit about a question that has arisen in John's mind as a result of spiritual depression. And the third thing we want to say a little bit about is the answer that is provided by Christ for the spiritual depression. So let's take these things in turn. It looks very much as if John the Baptist is very low in his earthly experience as a believer in this area of scripture. Now, let me just say this, that depression is a big problem across the board. And, you know, we tend as a society not to speak so much about depression as these days uh, as using the terminology mental health or mental health issues and particularly during COVID it, it, it has come to the fore and made itself more manifest than in uh, pre-COVID days now I think it goes without saying that We all are individuals as far as our bodies are concerned. There are no two individuals exactly alike in their physical makeup in their bodies. We are all just so individual and different and separate from everybody else. But that's not just true concerning our physical bodies. That is true concerning our psyches 
are concerning the psychological aspect of our makeup. We are all different. We are all very, very uh, different. And as I said, across the board, people can suffer from depression. Now here's where a major mistake is made by some believers. There is this notion among some people that if you become a Christian, everything is almost like a bed of roses and you don't have the problems that you once had in your pre-Christian days. Now that simply isn't true. That simply isn't true. I think I've given an example in the past from this pulpit of somebody who in his pre-Christian days may have had a very short fuse, very quick temper. Now the chances are if that person is converted, it's highly likely that in their post-conversion days, after they've been conversion, converted, they are going to have the same kind of problem. It's true that they're going to have a resource to turn to to help them to address the problem that they never turned to before. But the bottom line is this. Although we are made new creatures in Christ, the Bible speaks very clearly about the old man remaining. And that's where the battle lies. In the life of a believer. That's where the battle lies. And as far as depression is concerned, when a person becomes a Christian, this notion, and some people do hold this view, that you should not be depressed as a Christian, and that you really have to question whether you are Christian or not if you are experiencing spiritual depression. I don't know where that comes from. And if you think like that, a good book to read would be Martin Lloyd-Jones' books on that subject, the very subject. It's entitled Spiritual Depression. But um, you turn to the pages of Scripture, and I'm always saying about Scripture that it is just so honest. It is so honest at times that you're just embarrassed, you know, with things people do and things people say and situations people get themselves into. And what I mean by that is this. The world out there will be looking at the situation recorded in Scripture saying, is that what a believer is? Is that what being a Christian is? And we would have to say, yes it is. And I think this is one of those examples where the world might well criticize because here is John the Baptist, the great John the Baptist. And he's in a prison cell or in a dungeon really. He's in one of Herod Antipas' dungeons and if you can, in your mind, look at the land of Israel and if you look at the Dead Sea, just about uh, eight kilometers to the, to the west of the Dead Sea and about 24 kilometers from the tip of the, of the Dead Sea, that's where the, uh, we, we think at any rate, that's where John was, uh, was uh, imprisoned. And the great preacher... And the grey baptizer looks to be rock bottom. Now I want us to I want us to think for a moment or two of some of the things that might have been causing John the Baptist to be as down and as low as he was. And I think one of the things is this. The huge change that has come about in his circumstances. You know, if you go to the book of Acts and you look at how the, the strategy of the early church was developed, what you have is you have people going to the major cities, to where the crowds would be, and they would be teaching from the cities. The unique thing about the preaching of John the Baptist is this. He was out on the Judean hillsides. And 
well, we know what, what caused this. They, they, they were coming to listen, we believe, to John the Baptist, not just in their thousands, but perhaps even in their tens of thousands. And you think, how does that work? Because the strategy of the New Testament is to go to the, to the cities, to the major areas of population, and we understand that. But let's remember this. When God decides to do something, and God decides to utilize an individual, he can do it in whatever way he wants. That's his prerogative. And he did it that way with John the Baptist. And so this person, who is, I think we can say, hugely successful as a preacher, goes from that to the darkness of a dungeon. Now, now don't get me wrong. It's not that John the Baptist didn't know who he was. He did. When he said of Jesus, he's got to increase and I've got to decrease, I think John the Baptist knew that he, Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and was the saviour. And that's why he wants to lift him up. But he wants to, himself to decrease. Why? Because John the Baptist had the same problem as you and I have. John the Baptist was a sinner. And the sins of his soul still plagued him. But he had his theology right. He was switched on as far as that was concerned. But I wonder if John, I wonder if he thought, I wonder what kind of role I'm going to have after Jesus comes. Because John was chosen to be the forerunner of Jesus. In other words, God chose him to be the one to tell the world he's here. He's actually here. The world had been waiting for Jesus for a long, long time. John's role was to say, right, he's here. And even if Jesus is lifted up and he is increased and John himself is decreasing, I wonder what role he thought he was going to play. I wonder did he think that he would still have a preaching role, although it wouldn't be so prominent and it wouldn't be so significant. I wonder did he think that. I doubt very much that he thought there would be no preaching. It would be a dungeon that he would find himself locked up in. Now I know he had some leeway with interacting with some people, but... That's was, that was his lot. I doubt he guessed that that's the way it would be. And let's remember this. He may be John the Baptist, but he is still a human being. And he is susceptible to all the variables of being human. And I think he's rock bottom. And I think he's spiritually depressed. And I think it's so important for us to remember this. That you can go from being so significant and so influential and so used and so blessed in that kind of way to very, very, very different circumstances. And these things can impact you hugely. But here's another thing. Why is John the Baptist in that dungeon? John the Baptist is in that dungeon because he was a preacher of righteousness. That's why. And here was Herod Antipas and he was a king. And because he was a king he thinks he can do anything he wants. I mean that's the way we are in our arrogance. Isn't that what sin is? Our every sin is basically pitting ourselves against God and saying to God, No, 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 no. I'll do my own thing. I'm not doing what you want me to do. That's basically what every sin is. And here was this man, Herod Antipas, and he was now married to his brother's wife, 
And John the Baptist said, that's wrong. What you're doing is wrong. It's not just wrong on the level of marriage. It's also wrong on the level of incest. They have broken God's laws of consanguinity. And you know, the temptation for John is this. This is the king we're dealing with. I need to bend the way the wind's blowing. And you know, we'll, we, we hopefully uh, we'll, we'll explore, not today, but some other time, this idea of John being a reed blowing in the wind. John was no reed blowing in the wind. The, the, the idea of a reed blowing in the wind was here is somebody here and he'll blow whatever way the people around him want him to, to blow. He wasn't like that. He knew what God's word on these things was. And he conveyed it to Herod and to Herodias. And I think Herodias was an even bigger problem than Herod. Uh, and, and we understand why she's now the king's wife and she likes her position and she likes her power. But John's a problem. John's a threat to that. So just get rid of him. And Herod would have got rid of him long ago if he had listened to Herodias. But Herod had a conscience. And that's why John isn't dead but is still in prison. But it's because John the Baptist was faithful to God that he's in this circumstance he's in now. You know, that can be hard to deal with. That can be hard to deal with. You know, if you end up in difficulties because you've been foolish and you've done things wrong and you know you've done things wrong and you know this is a consequence of your wrongdoing, well, that's one thing. But when you know you have been faithful to God and you have stood your ground in defense of what God has revealed and you end up in prison, you end up in a done, that's another thing. That's not easy to bear. There's this other aspect of it. You know, our environments are very important to us as human beings. If we live somewhere where uh, uh, everything around us is, is, is nice and we appreciate it and um, everything's congenial, that has a bearing on our psyches. But if we go into a circumstance where it's the very opposite, that can have a great influence on us. That can have an overbearing influence on us at times, and that can sink us. Our, our physical environments are important. And John has gone from out in the country and the hillsides, appreciating all the beauty of God's creation as he preaches to these people, and he's wallowing in a gloomy, dirty, dingy dungeon. That physical environment has impacted him, I have no doubt. But it's not just our physical environment. Our social environment is, as, is important as well. And I think we've all learned a lesson during COVID. And I think the lesson that we've learned is this. Just how it's so important for us to be interacting with other people. It's so important for us to be in this building today. Now I do realise there are people online who aren't able physically to get to And I'm not speaking about that at all. It's just good that we have the technology for you to be involved the way that uh, you are. But everybody I speak to says being online is second best. It's not like being in the building. People meeting each other and interacting with each other. And I, I fully endorse that. We were made not to be islands. We were made to be social creatures. We are meant to interact with each other. And it's a great blessing. Um, I'm quite sure we've all missed, in the two years almost of lockdown, uh, one of the things when we just couldn't come to this building and interact with, with one another. John the Baptist is able to interact with some people, some of his disciples, uh, in, that, in that prison. But he's not able to interact in the way that he was once used to. Hard to handle again. And obviously had its bearing on him. Here's another thing. Jesus is there raising the dead. Why can't Jesus get John the Baptist out of the prison cell? 
Now we all entertain these kinds of thoughts at times. And John the Baptist was no different to any of the rest of us in that respect. And I'm guessing we could go into many other areas that caused this man to be down on rock bottom. But my point is this. I think it's a case of spiritual uh, depression. Now what happens to John the Baptist uh, during this spiritual depression? Well, a question arises, and here it is. Uh, Calling uh, two of his disciples unto him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Now that really is quite an amazing question on the part of of John the Baptist. You know, the one to come in the Old Testament times, the Messiah, had been promised from the time that Adam and Eve were put out of the Garden of Eden. The Old Testament uh, believers knew that there was somebody special coming. Here was John the Baptist. Now Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, were first cousins. It means this, that John the Baptist and Jesus knew each other. And if they were anything like their mothers, they blethered each other a lot. Because Mary and Elizabeth were in conversation for a long time prior to the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus respectively respectively. so they knew each other but it's very interesting as we read God's word that it isn't until God reveals it wholly to John the Baptist that he really realizes fully who Jesus is but there comes a point prior to the baptism of Jesus where John the Baptist has no questions about it whatsoever as to who Jesus is. He knew all along that Jesus was his cousin and he probably knew a whole lot of other things about Jesus. But we are specifically told that he knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the coming one. Do you know what part of John's (coughs) preaching was? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's That's at the heart of the preaching of John the Baptist. He's telling these people in their thousands, look at him. He's the Lamb of God. And he's going to take away the sin of the world. And John the Baptist was absolutely right. And he knew it. But he doesn't know it right now. At least not in that way. The question is this. Are you the one? Or shall we look for another? That is a huge change. That is an absolutely huge change. Now it's not just John the Baptist who experiences this kind of thing. I'm pretty certain that all believers here today have been at one time or another, and for all I know, maybe many times, in a situation where you have really serious questions. And maybe really serious questions after decades of being a believer. And maybe in really, with really serious questions after having been used in a mighty and in a marked and in a profound way by God in the past. The bottom line is this. I spoke about us all having different bodies. We're all different physically. But I also spoke about us all being different in our psyches. We all have different psychologies. And we don't know in life's journey what's going to happen with our bodies physically. Nor do we know what's going to happen in life's journey with our psyches. You know, it's one of the things about being young 
you're bold even brazen and you're ready to take on the world no questions you get the decades going by and it changes you get nervous with yourself you get unsure about yourself you become uncertain about yourself you begin to discover things about yourself that you never imagined never crossed your mind as a youngster the same thing applies on the spiritual level the same kind of things apply and here is John the Baptist and what a change but he does the right thing he sends two of his followers to Jesus and he presents Jesus with a question and here's the answer that's provided by Christ to John the Baptist's spiritual uh, depression it's there in verse 22 and he answered them go and tell John what you have seen what have they seen? Well, they've just seen the centurion servant being healed. They've just seen the widow of Nain's son being raised from the dead. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. That's what Jesus' answer is. But John the Baptist was somebody who knew his Old Testament. And when John the Baptist would hear these words being spoken to them, it would have drawn his attention to the prophecy of Isaiah, I have no doubt. In Isaiah chapter 35 and at verse 5 and 6. And this is Isaiah over 700 years before Jesus is born prophesying, foretelling about God's coming to the world in a special way in other words prophesying about the coming of Jesus prophesying about the Messiah prophesying about the coming one and listen to it then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert and then if we go to Isaiah chapter 61 and at verse 1 the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are uh, bound what is it that Jesus is getting John to do he's getting John to go back to the prophecy of Isaiah John knew it anyway. And now he's been told what's been happening with Jesus' coming. It's the proof that Jesus is who he is. And you know there's a huge lesson for us to learn here. John the Baptist takes his difficulty to Jesus. Jesus answers his difficulty by going to the word of God in the Old Testament in Isaiah. That's a huge thing for us to remember. Why do I say that? Human beings are strange creatures. Even believing human beings. I, 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 I'm in the same boat as everybody else as far as this is concerned. Sometimes when we find ourselves in difficulties, the last person we go to is God. We will go to this person, that person, the next person. And I'm not saying that other people can't help us. They can. But what I fail to understand is why we leave God out of the equation and how sometimes when everybody else has failed us, only then do we turn to God. Strange but then we are strange creatures. John the Baptist takes it to Jesus. Jesus is to the word of God. It's a huge lesson for us. 
if we are found in dark situations, if we are suffering from spiritual depression, we need to turn to the Master. Now there's just one other thing I want to pick up on before we close. He answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. Astonishing things are happening. Utterly astonishing things. But Isaiah prophesied about that 700 years ago. They shouldn't be all that surprising. But they are. Now you would have thought that this would have been the apex, the top point of it all. The dead are raised up. Because the widow of Nain's sons just been brought back to life. You would have thought that was at the top of the pile. But it's not. Listen to this. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. That's at the top of the pile. And that is the most amazing point of all. That poor, pathetic, wretched sinners have good news preached to them. And the good news is none other than Jesus. Remember my children's address. Here's the door. It doesn't matter how black and murky and awful your sins are. And my sins are. The glory of the gospel is this. There's a doorway into heaven for us all. Through this Jesus. How will we get on in our earthly pilgrimage as believers? I'm not sure how we'll get on. Will we have our ups and downs? We most certainly will. Will we have a lot, a lot of downs? I think so. Will we suffer from spiritual depression? Probably. Probably. Is there an answer to it all? Most certainly there is. The good news is this. Wherever you are today... And however low you might be in the water, remember this, the good news is this, Jesus has come and he can save us from our sins. That's good news indeed. Let's conclude by singing the final few verses of Psalm 84. It's found on page 339 of the Psalter and it's verse 10. For in thy courts one day excels a thousand, rather in my God's house will I keep a door than dwell in tents of sin. We'll sing verses 10 to 12. For in thy courts...
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit 